Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Podcasts. He's going to score under the post. JJ Williams. The Lions leap in the air. These are the days that you'd never believe will come again. To win for a Lion, for the Lions in a test match, is the ultimate. Hello and welcome to Full Contact with The Telegraph and to our mini-series Brian's Lions. Over the course of the next few weeks, as we build up to the 2021 Lions Tour of South Africa, I'll be speaking to the great and the good of Lions Tours gone by. For our third instalment, I'll be discussing the role of being called up to the tour as a late replacement. So many players narrowly missed out on a test call this year, but they could still have a part to play, not just in the tour, but in the test series too. Delighted to say that my guest today did just that in 2013, initially left out of the original squad, but arrived midway through the tour and played a major role in the test series. Delighted to welcome the former England and Lions prop, Alex Corbusiero. Hello, Alex, mate. Brian, great to be here with you. Look, before we get on to your own Lions experience, can you describe to me some of your early memories? I mean, I think you'd have been eight when the 1997 South Africa tour took place. So what did you feel about the Lions? What, did, what, what, what sort of entity was it when you were, when you were growing up and you know, starting, starting your rugby career? It, it all comes down to that 97 tour and that's kind of where I first discovered the Lions, understood what it was and that those tours in South Africa, the Guscott drop goal, I remember being a young kid and even not quite understanding you know, exactly the drop goal, the significance, but the emotion, the passion, the win, I remember cheering along and, and since then the Lions have just become you know a, a huge part of everything I love about the sport and the ability to actually play for them one day was just icing on the cake because it really is such a special uh, thing that's so unique in today's game and, and it's just it's hard to say anything negative about it. In the amateur era it was always the pinnacle and I did wonder when rugby went professional whether or not the Lions would because it's an anomaly whether or not the passion for it would be maintained if, if anything actually it seems to have got uh, even uh, stronger. Um, what was your view as a pro of it? I think it's a tough one because I think obviously as the game's evolving, like it's getting harder and harder for the Lions to fit into the professional landscape. So that's one of the challenges of does it fit under these circumstances and the way world rugby is governed and the windows and, and you know, the old ethos of a long tour and fitting that in a, a congested calendar. But from an actual player's perspective, it is the best thing you can ever do. Like it is an amazing challenge. You get to play with some of the best players in the world, guys that you might never ever play with again, come into a team environment with a common goal in a short period of time to go out there and upset one of the giants of world rugby. And it's also, from my experience, the biggest stage. I, I played a lot of big games for England, 
but I think the most eyeballs, the most attention, the most notoriety of my career is from the Lions. And that's what's so special about it is you really just engage, you know, that sea of red that gets behind you. And it's something I've never experienced since in rugby. And it's one of the things I just love about the Lions. It gives me great pleasure to name the 37-man squad who have been chosen to represent the 2013 British and Irish Lions Touring Party. Prop forwards. Dan Cole, Kean Healy, Gethin Jenkins, Adam Jones, Matt Stevens, Mako Vinipola. Well, let's move on to 2013. Where were you watching, or were you watching the squad announcement? I mean, were you, expect, were you expecting to be picked? I was right on the fence of thinking I could be picked or not. Like, there was a chance, but I think the majority of my mind kind of knew that it probably wasn't going to happen. I watched the announcement out in um, uh, at London Irish. I think it was at lunch after training where they had the, the Sky Sports or whatever, Sky Sports News or whatever, and we all watched it. And I hadn't had a call saying I was in or wasn't in, but in my mind, there was still hope. I'd spoken to Roundtree. The issues I had is in the Autumn Internationals, I'd played very well, but then I picked up a, an injury and missed the whole Six Nations. And so I'd only had two games back for London Irish by the time the squad was announced. And that kind of was probably the biggest thing holding me back from selection. So when the thing was announced and I wasn't involved, it, it, was, it was tough to take. Was there anyone there who was picked? Whilst, whilst the squad was was announced? No. Oh, you, you didn't have that one. You didn't have to face no. one. Uh, no, exactly. <laughs> Saved me a little bit of that, that. It was literally just me. And I think most people probably weren't expecting me to go because of the injury and how long I'd been out. So it, it wasn't this big deflate. It was just another challenge that now I had to then get back to the best I could and be ready in case the call was going to come. Because I felt like from day one, I should have been on that tour if I'd been fit. In the official Lions film of that tour, one of the opening scenes shows Graham Rowntree and Warren Gatland having a discussion, shall we say, about your involvement. And Graham was very much foretaking you. Gatland seemed to be less keen. Were you aware that this discussion went on? Not until I actually saw the DVD did I know that that specific discussion happened. But I did know that Graham Rowntree was was behind me to get on that tour and even after I got on the tour you know I'd had chats with Gats and he said at December you're in the squad but you know after not playing Six Nations and guys like Mako who are having a breakout season at Saracens you know Gethin Jenkins all-time legend top player that Gats has got a strong relationship as well and Kean Healy who's one of the best loose heads of all time you know it's it wasn't like I was you know robbed or gutted that you know people who weren't good enough uh, you know got the spot that I felt I wanted and I think Roundtree made a case for me and unfortunately you know it just wasn't I hadn't shown enough back from injury to give myself a true shake of being in that decision process but I knew you know I knew what I was capable of that time and I think Roundtree and I had quite a special relationship at my time you know playing with him and you know he he believed in me and, and also knew what I was capable of and you know that support and backing is is part of the reason why you know we had such a a great time together as playing coach is because I, I invested in him and backed him to the hill as well. And it's, it's special to see that on hindsight. And it was quite emotional actually seeing it when it finally unfells and you watch the DVD. When you miss out, are you told that you're on an official shortlist or are you, what, what said to you, if anything? 
not told an official short list or whatever, not told like you're one away or, or, or anything like that told that, you know, that you you're in the mix to be called up, of course. And I think you, you just know that from the logistics and looking at who's available too. But at the same time, there wasn't much I could do other than just focus on, on getting back for those last couple of games for London Irish. And then the, the England games, the barbarians and the Argentina tour and, and wait for the call if it happens. Well, you ended up going on tour to uh, Argentina with England. What was the atmosphere like? Because there have been uh, other players who narrowly missed out as well. It was a bit of a, you know, let's show what we can do, lads. And I think um, it was tough for a lot of guys on that England squad, especially the way that I didn't play in it, but the 2013 Six Nations, that last game to, to Wales sort of, you know, unraveled for England and it kind of dashed a lot of hopes of some guys who might have been fringe or in the mix kind of, you know, to show that, you know, the way Gats wanted to go with his players, you know, was justified based on some of those results. So I think from us as a group, you know, there were some key players in there that just wanted to put the performances in and show what we were capable of that if the call came, you know, you're ready. And it's quite a weird situation to be in because playing for your country is so special and it means so much. But at the same time, it's hard when you're on those tours with your country to not quite keep your main focus or, or dreams of getting on that Lions tour. We needed to, um, needed to make sure that we made that call early uh, to England to get Alex over you know, as quickly as he possibly can. He hopefully arrive about midday on Saturday. Um, and then we can integrate him as quickly as we can into the squad. Uh, well, he's a quality player. I mean, he's, he's been a little bit, little bit unlucky with injuries this year. Um, if he hadn't have been injured, he would have been definitely in contention, you know, potentially as, a, as an original selection anyway. So, um, um, so it's nice to see him back and fit again and, and play. And, and, Obviously, he w- was selected for England uh, against Argentina. Kean Healy gets injured in the game against Western Province. Were you were you watching the game? And if it, when he went down, were you thinking, "Oh, him, uh. yeah"? It, I was watching. <laughs> I was watching it with the England lads in uh, Salta in Argentina, getting ready for that first test for Argentina, and I saw it. And it crossed my mind, but it was hard to know how bad it was then. And Kean's such a big player and an amazing that you didn't know if it was a week or two and you'd be back. A player that caliber, you know, is worth keeping on tour if there's a chance. So, you know, you don't really know what's going on. And I didn't hear anything from Wig or or, or Gats or anyone like that. It actually ended up coming back that it was uh, Lancaster the next morning at a text. Can you come meet me by the pool? He sat me down uh, by the pool there and uh, kind of had a feeling it might have been something to do with the Lions, but you just don't know. The un- like the uncertainty and the, the worry is, is rushing over you. And so basically he sat me down. He said, mate, uh, you can pack your bags. You're getting on your way to, to Australia. And he says, um, I, and he looked me dead in the eye and he, he basically told me is that I think you've got a good chance of getting in that test team as a starter and uh, you should too. And it was a great chat. And packed my bags and to have the support of, of the boss at England and to go over. And it was a ridiculous journey to get over there. It was pretty special. I was going to say, what, what did, did everyone else find out about it? What, you know, what, were, what, what was their reaction? Good luck and support. And, and I think, um, you know, that England team and all the guys there, you know, it's arm round and, and cheer you on. And it was really good. And even leading up to some of the tests and, and the games, getting texts from those guys as well, saying good luck and support, um, you know, it was really special. And I think, I just, 
if someone a heartbreaking unfortunate situation for someone else but it opened a door for me and it's just quite a special opportunity to, to even get in the room with some of those players so I, as hard as it was for Kian to have to, to pull out I was just buzzing for the opportunity to, to prove what I could do and to just be in such a special environment. I heard about this journey it turned out to be a bit of a mammoth task what why, why what, what what did you have to do why, why was that? Well, put it this way: you're in the you're in the mountains in Argentina in Salta, okay? And all of a sudden, without any plan or preparation, you need to be in Brisbane as soon as you possibly can to be able to get in the mix and train. Because the reason you're getting called up is they need players straight away, and so it's not really like you get there, you have a week to acclimatize. You, you got to get there, and you're pretty much getting ready to play. So I'm in Salta. I have to take a two and a half hour flight or three hour flight back down to Buenos Aires, waiting in Buenos Aires. Then I had to fly to Santiago, Chile. So now I'm in Santiago, Chile for a while. Then my flight is from Santiago, Chile to Auckland, New Zealand. So I fly to New Zealand. Then I have to wait in New Zealand. And then I fly from Auckland to Sydney and then eventually Sydney to Brisbane. And I finally get there like three days later or whatever, <laughs> 30 something hours of, of actual travel airtime or something. And you're, you're finally there. I got there the day that they played the the Queensland Reds at uh, Suncorp. Got to watch. Got to get all the suit and jacket and and go watch the game and cheer with the guys. And then the next day you're training on that Sunday to get ready for I think a Monday game. It, it, it was in Newcastle, and you know I've had one or two sessions with these guys, and you're already playing, and you're already technically a lion, not a test lion, but you're part of it. And it, it, it's there's no time to sort of take it in. You just got to get on with it on those tours. Tell you what, that's probably the best way so you don't draw it. Of course, you'll probably be fined in the players' court for being being so slow to get there. I'm not going to sing, I'm going to rap because I'm used to singing. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a second to grab the mic and rip. Sean, say it again, I'll leave you with fat lip. Come against me, bitch, I'll take your burden strip. You come against me acting gangster, you a blood or a crit. Want to recognize, cross your eyes. I'm a big mother with big ass thighs. If you come against me, kids start to criticize. Get in my face, I'm gonna lay you to waste. We grab the mic. Sean O'Brien, happy to be a, happy to be a lion. People come against me, they can start crying. Grab the microphone like I'm on Mount Zion. That's actually one of the better ones I've heard as an initiation. Um, is this a speciality? Yeah, that's my thing, mate. Uh, from, from London Irish to England 18s to, you know, USA on the 19s as a young kid, all the way through to England seniors to the Lions to Northampton. That's my thing. Like a uh, initiation song, I'll rap and post-match raps or some of that uh, stuff is is... That's me. I, I love it. Even now coaching in at the LA Guiltinis, it still comes out after a, a big game or a win or a hard session. The lads love it. It's, a, it's quite special for me. I really enjoy that. Eminem and Alex Corbusiero. You don't have to shorten your name, mate. It's not, it's just not, it's not, it's not snappy enough. It really isn't. It really isn't. Look, um, when you get there, um, inevitably, I won't say cliques necessarily, but groups form on tour just because players like each other and they spend more time together was there any sign of that did you feel any difficulty in 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 arriving late and um you know getting up to speed with that side of it I was a little apprehensive of it when I was coming in, just knowing that the guys, a lot of the guys have been together since early May at this point in camps and stuff. But I did know a fair few of England players there. 
And I will say the environment was so welcoming, so warming. Uh, get on page, got me up to speed. Having Roundtree there and Farrell, coaches I knew as well, uh, was only a bonus. And, um, you know, building relationships, meeting new guys. I didn't know quite what to think, but it, it was absolutely um, fantastic. And it was quite a welcoming environment. And I think that's one of the reasons we were successful in 2013 is it was kind of arms open and it was team first mentality. It wasn't a group of individuals or people weren't playing for their spot. I think everyone knew the time it had been at the time without a series win, the significance of delivering a victory sort of put the urgency into people that we had to get this right. And that environment was there. And I was fortunate just to step into it and almost assimilate straight into it. Because when you're, you're on the tour and someone comes out, there can be mixed reactions. I remember 93 Martin Johnson uh, coming out, everyone um, who was a Celt was hacked off because there were so many English people there anyway. And I, you know, knew Jono was going to be, you know, what a great player. But in uh, in '89, there was open hostility when Rob Andrew uh, came in, and I remember Rob playing in a midweek game, and you know he must have been keeping fit because he wasn't on tour, and he was absolutely electric. And I remember looking round at some people and thinking, yeah, you might well shut up now, actually. And Rob ended up in the test team, you know, as well as did Jono. So, you know, similar sort of thing. I, I read that, you know, one, uh, growing up, Gething Jenkins was one of your I- inspirations. Now, it's difficult when you go on Lions tours because you've got people who and players you admire, people you might have followed when you were young, but you, you've, you've got to get your head down. You've got to compete. And I'm... I just find this difficult. I, I can't socialise with people, you know, I'm supposed to be competing with. I'll, I'll be civil to them, but I just can't do it. You know, Jason is one of the blokes who go out of a pint with anyone, etc. I, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't do that. What, what, what's your approach? For example, say to, towards Gethin. So, yeah, Gethin Jenkins has been a hero of mine. That 2005 Lions tour, I, I just was in awe of what he was doing on that tour and just setting the, the new standards and the new norm for what professional props are capable of around the field. And so to actually get to the environment and he was there, it was actually quite sad because I'd obviously come to replace Kean, but then he'd been battling a calf injury. And so we only had a day or so actually in camp together and then it left. So for me, it was cordial, but I agree with you. I sometimes probably feel that some of my biggest str- struggles were truly letting down the sort of friend barrier with people that you're competing with because of what's at stake and how much you've committed to your career and how badly you want it. And you have someone that you're competing with, but you're also on the same team. It is quite a unique dynamic that I probably reflecting now on my career, feel like I could have done more when we were cordial and nice, but it probably didn't go deep enough to build those relationships with the people I competed with. And I think it's because I was just so focused on trying to make the team and and be involved that I found that a little bit hard, but I never had any, beef or I wasn't someone that would try and you know fight my competition it was more how far do you open up the guards and and really sort of connect those make those connections I I think is something that I could have done more but it it, like you said it's a very hard dynamic to manage in these situations well you're a better man than I you you, at least you got there at least you made an attempt look I mean because you take part in the uh, loss to the Brumbies and that's only a few days before you've come out obviously you want to get there did you feel that it was going to be too soon and with the loss, the, the the test play, certainly for the first one, you know, had probably gone by the way? Yeah, I kind of did. Uh, it, it, there was there was two sort of conversations going on in my head. There was the first one that, you know, all of a sudden I am 
you know, still feel like I was putting a good case to be in the starting side. I felt like I showed at set piece that that was my point of difference on this tour. And I still had good involvements in the loose. But at the same time, getting picked on that Brumbies game isn't a great sign that you're going to start in the first test. But there's the mitigating factor that Mako had played so much rugby on that tour because Kean had got injured, because Gethin Jenkins was unable to play for a while. Ryan Grant only came a little bit after me. He'd started an obscene amount of rugby at that point. So to put him on the bench there as well didn't quite make sense either. So there's these like logical, emotional balancing conversations going on in your head. And I just kind of said... I didn't think after that I was going to be involved in the starting side, especially with the loss. I felt I came on and actually played all right in a in a losing game, but I just kind of had written off that maybe the first one had gotten away from me and I just ran out of runway. I'll be announcing eight new test lines who will be making their debut, and the team reads as follows. Number one, Alex Corbusiero. Number two, Tom Youngs. Number three, Adam Jones. Technically, Alex is probably a little bit, a little bit sounder, um, and I think you know the referee and potentially at scrum time and area that we we feel we'd like to. We think we've got a little potentially a little bit of an edge. You get selected. Tell me what. Tell me what you felt. Well, it was kind of you know gaps is. Um, I haven't actually told anyone this, I don't think, but Gats is, um, you know, he announces the team just as it is. Like he doesn't tell anyone it's announced in the meeting and you kind of just soak it in then and there. But um, actually, uh, Graham Roundtree came and broke kind of protocol and came and spoke to me just before the meeting and said, you're in kid and gave me a big hug. And, uh, and like, so I kind of already knew before the meeting where I think most people are finding out there, but um just just finding that and and it was it was an incredible experience like what, what a wave of emotion joy like you've been pushing for a goal like you'd had some serious obstacles in the way of you know sitting on the on the sidelines for five months um you know an uncertainty of when you would be able to progress back to rugby finally get there you're not on the lions you've got all these hurdles that you're trying to get over i just used that as a as a preseason, and I just said to myself, I am going to be ready for this tour, whether I go on it or not. And to actually have that feeling of now I have the opportunity to go do this, like it was amazing. But then immediately you sink back into, right, there's a million things to do to get ready to start a test on Saturday, and your brain's already churning along on the next sort of uh, you know list of to dos that you've got to get through. So how well did you? How good an actor are you? How well did you disguise the fact? That you knew <laughs> before the meeting started and during the meeting, just before the announcement, that you were in. I kept a good poker face. Uh, I'll <laughs> tell you that the anxiety cleared. Uh, I'll tell you that. I'm sure Like if, if you'd seen me five, ten minutes before, I would have been anxious as hell waiting. And it felt like a, a, a relief from that chat with Roundtree. So I was pretty much, you know, just smooth, keeping my, myself to myself. And it, it made the whole environment so much less stressful just knowing uh it's, it's very hard as a player when you you commit everything you've got and you don't actually know you know like where you stand or if you're in yet it's it's i found the waiting for stuff like that some of the hardest things of my career well the first test starts you're winning and you in particular having a good game about 50 minutes you have to come off mako comes on what did that feel like did you know the extent of the injury? Were you particularly worried or what? 
honestly, I felt great going into that first game and I thought it was going to be great. And just as we were jogging out for the warm-up, I ran out ran out with the lads like through the tunnel to get crack on with the proper warm-up. And there was this like, it was like a plank of wood that had turf over it, but it kind of bent, you know, like that plexi board. Yeah, yeah. And as I, as I pushed off on it, as I was running with my studs, I all of a sudden felt my calf twinge. And I was like, oh, you're joking me. And I was hoping it was just tightness or muscle soreness, cramp, but I knew it wasn't good. I've never had really, I've had one calf strain like my whole career. Like I had a lot of knee injuries, other things, but soft like calf, hammies, things like that never really bothered me. So I was just thinking, oh my God, like right now, after all of this, you're going to throw this at me here. So I just got on with the warm up. I covered it in as much percutane, which is like kind of like deep heat times a thousand as I could, just so it was burning and I could ignore it. But after the first couple, like the first scrum or two, we absolutely rolled them. I think there's one where we really got into them. But then I just, I felt probably at about on my right leg, my inside leg, which is very important for scrummaging as a loose head is to keep that tight with the hooker. The inside chase keeps you nice and square. And so not being able to use that as much, I just didn't feel like I could properly turn the screw in that third test. But I kept, it It, it was like half pulled, but it hadn't gone to where I was, I couldn't play. Like the, it was either the, adrenaline or the injury wasn't significant i felt i was probably playing at 70 percent. running around the loose wasn't too bad it was just the scrums that were starting to get me and so i just battled on for as long as i could because in my mind i'd kind of reserved that this could be me done now and i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not i'm i'm done one and done as a lion you might as well go out on your shield and put the best performance you can in and and you know say that you got that one test start and there we go so i just emptied the tank and gave it everything i could i had a couple of nice carries a couple of things but it was so frustrating to not to get there and not be 100%. Well, towards the end of the game, the Lions are two points up, 23-21. Curtly Beale misses two, frankly, very kickable penalties. But you you have to watch from the bench. What was the tension like? Oh, I was it was brutal. To feel like being on the bench after you've played, you're just so helpless because you know you're not coming back on. You're not like on the bench waiting to to have a way to impact the game. You've literally just got to release all those sort of emotions that are just worrying about it and what will be, what will be. It's in the hands of your team, your, your teammates, your brothers. You've got to trust in them. But, oh, my God, is it nerve-wracking. It's it's very similar to how I feel sometimes when I'm coaching now is that you have no way to affect the game, but it means just as much as to you as when you're a player. And so that was a pretty, you know, nervous moment. But when he missed that kick and we got the first win, I showed we... I felt like we showed enough that we were probably slightly the better team, but we just hadn't got the reward in the game and we were a bit stop-start and not quite the performance we'd wanted. But just to get the W and get that pressure off that you're not playing for a series sweep in the second game uh, you know, against us was massive. Uh, well, I don't know what it's like to, uh, to win a first test because on both my tours, we lost the first one. But you miss out on the second test because you're over the calf. What was the atmosphere after the loss of the second test we you know going into third test and doing do or die was was there apprehension or was it determination or did the squad feel had not done themselves justice and they were still favorites what was it like it was it was gut everyone was gutted i think we felt like at the first one we got the cobwebs out of the way so for the second one now we were in a position to actually go play and like show what we could do and the second game very much mirrored the first one if anything we played less uh, the Wallabies prepared quite well and they got some key scrum penalties um, and that was probably the screw that turned on us that allowed them to just nip that game in my opinion and so 
for for me, um, it was tough to watch and and you know not to be involved and to see the scrum not go well and then see you know what that had done to everyone. Um, it put a lot of pressure on everyone, but I think Gats is is almost bulletproof in those environments. And I think the way he carried himself and you know the plan was to go to Noosa and have a few days to unwind, regardless of the result. And I think the fact that he still let the guys have a bit of fun. Um, didn't change the plan or, or crumble or panic under pressure. I think it 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 was a good, you know, top down sort of way to to steer the way we handled the thing as a group. Well, you get back in for the uh, third test, but the omission that grabbed the headlines naturally was Brian O'Driscoll's. Now, if you'd been over here, you would have been astonished at the reaction because people were. People lost their minds, in my opinion. You know, people saying it's a disgrace. Gatlin ought to apologise to him publicly. I said, wait a minute, no one's got a right to be a test lion. And look, he hasn't played that well. You know, he's, a, he's a, one of the best players post-war ever in his position, but on form, you know, and Gatlin's the coach and he is in charge. He will carry the can and he's going to play the one to win. I, I, was it expected out there or, or would you see untouchable? What was the... Was there any reaction within the squad to his to his non-selection? I think it was a little bit of shock because he was such a big leader in the squad and such a, a big part of everything that was going on. He spoke well. He'd just spoken that week about how much it meant to the, to him to win one. He'd been a lion all these times and he'd never won a test. He'd never won a series, and he was really a big driver of that off the field. So us as a group, you know. I didn't see it coming. I just kind of assumed that because of the the role he played in the squad, that he would be involved. And so it, no one knew. It happens in a meeting as Gats does it. You see it. And then you quietly walk into training to get on with the preparation for that week. And you know everyone's, it's on everyone's mind. But at the same time, we've just got to get on with it. And the media storm that happened from it was outrageous and probably... You know, the the funniest thing that I can remember of this, that we can laugh about it now, I, I'm sure the whole experience is not fun for Brian because if it happened to me, I'd be devastated. But is on the test day, or the day, uh, yeah, the test day when we're in the hotel just outside the stadium, I come down to lunch and it's Gats, uh, Farrell, Roundtree and Howley and they're watching, the, you know those videos? It's like the... I think it's from the movie that the guy's playing Hitler and he's like losing it, yes. but they'd had it that you're dropping yep. Brian O'Driscoll and yep. they were yep. watching it and laughing over it. And I was just like, just never forget that. But at the same time, that is sport and no one's untouchable. And, you know, you can argue rightly or wrongly if that was the right call. Gats will always say that it that the result justified the selection. But I also think there's a case you could go the other way too. He's one of the best players to ever play the game. But I think that was quite humbling in a squad that, you know, that no one's untouchable. Um, there'd been some big decisions made. You could obviously see Gats went to tried and tested of what he knew in that third test with a strong Welsh contingent and it paid off for him. And so learning curve, uh, everyone, a learning experience for everyone to, to, to be aware that there's no sort of sure bets in sport and, and it keeps everyone on their toes. And I just will say, actually, the way Brian handled that to me it's probably one of the greatest tests of character of a legend, I think. And this guy handled it with so much grace. I think one of the key reasons we were successful in that third test is on the Thursday session before he ran the Australia team again, like the the rest of the team against us, the non-23, and they absolutely carved us up. Like he played his third test on that Thursday. Like he 
He absolutely shredded us apart. There was a Driscoll-esque move. He was running it. He was bossing it in defense. He was hungry. And everyone, all of a sudden, we'd had probably our worst training session as a new team because there's been some changes on the eve of the biggest game. And I think that's what made us good because later that day, I'd done my recovery come back down to look at some of the the video analysis and I get in there and it's uh it's Foxy it's Roberts and it's O'Driscoll sitting there and they're going through training and going through footages and O'Driscoll's actually like helping them get better for the weekend and I honestly think that is a key catalyst of why we're successful that big not big personalities park their ego for the good of the team and I I think it's incredible well, well, I heard about that, and I would expect nothing uh, less than you know, knowing the man as, as I do. I, I never thought it would be any different with him personally. It must have been difficult for him having to deal with the Ferrari that was uh, the, the hysteria that whipped up on his behalf and not at his behest. Warren Gatlin said in his post-match press conference that uh, he would have made you man of the match. He said he, we knew that Alex was unlucky with his selection. He's the man that made the selection. Does, does that make uh, that comment a little bit more interesting? Um, I, I think, you know, I, I, I never had any issue with selection. I think at, at the time when, when the squad was announced, I'd, I'd been injured for four or five months and, and I'd played a, one game off the bench and started one game and really didn't have a chance to put, put a mark down and prove what I was capable of doing and other guys were playing really well you know and so I just thought well I'll get back to where I know I want to be and then the opportunity came and I just tried to make the, the most of it and for someone like Gax to say something like that it means a lot because I've got a lot of respect for him and, and he's poured his heart and soul to us and uh, it's been a pleasure to play for so I'll take that uh, You go in the game you score after two minutes what's that like? Well, I just want to touch on getting to the game because for me, like, I didn't even know if I was going to get to this game. Like, it, it felt like almost free money to even be involved. I think the, when I initially had the calf, you know, injury diagnosed, they said three to four weeks. Were so you fully fit? Were you fully fit? No, nowhere near. I was probably, again, 70%, but I was confident it wasn't going to tear so I could empty the tank and I knew I had no no game and no more of the season. So I, I would right or wrongly, I was going for it, but they said three to four weeks and we had to turn it around and I had to be training in about 10 days to be able to have a, a shot at being in there. And so the ability to get that injury right and uh, the physio Phil Pask that worked with me, Kevin Lidlow back at home as well, like the whole medical staff, it was incredible to get back. But honestly, Wig said to me after the, in the second week, he said, if we win the second test, you don't have to play. If you win it, you don't have to play because the series was done and it was so touch and go with the injury, you know, so I'm rehabbing. We lose a, se- lose a second test and I'm like, right, it's game time. Got to get this right. And it literally just came right. Like that day of the test was the first day where I really felt like I could properly sprint around and not worry about it. You, you scored a try. It must have been a monumental feeling. But not only that, when uh, you won... Uh, you were named man of the match by Warren Gatland. How did that yeah. feel? I, I was. It was amazing, and and th- this that test was incredible. You know, I got the I got there. I felt good. Uh, we're in this amazing team. It's the biggest stage. It's all on the line. It's one big game to empty the tank. It's an incredible opportunity to 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 you know do something powerful. And I think Alan Wynn Jones. Uh, the way he spoke to us in the change room just before we went out. And he says, it's an opportunity. You, you know, there's two different futures ahead. You can wake up tomorrow and you'll wear this jersey for the rest of your life or you won't. And so basically like that resonated with me so much that you have this opportunity to do something special. So to go out there to get the try early was amazing. But to me, 
Well, speaking of the try, everyone loves the try. Like the try is, you know, a couple of meters out, right time, right place. A number of people could have got it. But if you actually look at that try, the thing that I'm most proud about is the carry before on Sean O'Brien. The latch that I give gets us an extra five or six meters that gets us right near the line that Alan Wynne-Jones gets there. So I did feel like there was a big involvement there. But the whole game, this, the, the try is icing on the cake. It was the scrum. It was a set piece. It was the dominance. It was the work rate. It was all the things that I knew I could deliver that just helped impact on like help the machine get rolling and allowed us to dominate Australia just feel like I probably played my best game on the biggest stage and and as heartbreaking it was to leave the sport earlier than I wanted to that's probably the thing that sits uh, the best with me is that when it when it was all on the line I was able to turn up and deliver what was the first series win for 13 years unfortunately you know you forced to retire early you you couldn't uh available for the 2017 tour what was the feeling in uh, in the camp about that win and given the amount of time the Lions had had to wait for one as well it, it was a lot of pressure I think as a squad I think it was 16 years is what people kept saying 16 years boys we've been waiting 16 years so we had to deliver and that game on the weekend I, I looked at Gatlin um on the Friday on the Saturday morning uh it, before we moved to the new hotel we were still in Sydney um, and I and I was at breakfast. I went to grab a water from the fridge, and Gatlin was getting a water at the same time. And he just looked at me, and and he said, "You know, will you get that prick for me today?" And that's obviously Ben Alexander, who'd caused havoc on us last week and got some penalties against us. And I just looked him in the eyes and said, "I'll get them for you." And we had a nice little chat. And just going back to what was it like with Gats? That's why it was so special on at that game is because I knew I'd done my job in the team that had facilitated the win. And when I I looked at Gats after after the game as the first person, him and Wig, I wanted to see just because I played for them and gave everything I had for them, and it worked. And it was just a nice hug. And you know, Halfpenny deserves the man of the match for that game and for the whole series. But to get that from Gats and for him to recognise that is something that I'll I'll sleep easy one day on my deathbed. It means that much to me. When you're looking at uh, selecting the squad, there's a lot of factors to take into consideration. You're looking at you know, form in the, in the Six Nations, you're looking at players that have performed for you in the past, uh, players that have performed in, at club level, won trophies and championships, and then you're looking at some players and some younger players that you feel that you can develop also on the tour as well. So lots of things to consider, trying to get that balance right between you know, curating a squad that's going to be incredibly competitive uh, and also play some good rugby and, and and look to improve as the tour goes on as well. It's going to be a different tour because of COVID. We both know one of the special things about the Lions is getting to know people you've only glared at across the halfway line, you know, or mumbled at in team meetings that uh, there will be a meeting and uh, one of us will come out on top and stuff like that. But one of the big things about it being a touring side is seeing so much of the country and interacting with the people from that country, whether the interactions are, are warm or not, and they go both ways. That is going to be limited this time, just of necessity. Um, what sort of effect do you think that could have? I think it'll be quite strong. Uh, as much as I want to say it's it's not going to impact it and it's going to be amazing, 
the fans and the sea of red and the tour and the host country and the way you see, you know, Lions fans having beers, hugging other fans from other countries, like it's so special. And it's, it's one of honestly the most cherished things we have in rugby. And the Lions is such a great example of that. So to not have that is heartbreaking for me and to think it could be behind closed doors. Like I personally believe that um, the Lions should play with fans. So I, I would, I would, I would still move it back to the UK just so we could have, crowds and the sea of red and and do it because i my memories of the lions is so intertwined with that but at the same time it's still going to be special in its unique way this is a very very unprecedented time in history this will be something we look back on and i think we have to find new ways to enjoy the lions and make the most of it with what we've got i mean one of the difficulties in looking forward to the test series and we're speaking to john schmidt about this is they haven't played so, I know the reigning world champions, but they, they haven't played. So who knows what, you know, um, fettle they'll be in. They won't know. Um, everyone else who is preparing for them won't know. Um, so, to, to, you know, there's so many things up in the air, far more than normal. The, the, you know, there's going to be a, a, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how the series goes right from the first whistle, who develops and who doesn't. Um, look, let's go away from the lines for a second. I know that you've been battling uh, testicular cancer in the last couple of years. Um, can you give us an update? Uh, yeah, so I had very good news in December that my my scan showed that the the mass that was around my lymph nodes had, had gone, and so I was diagnosed cancer-free then, and so I'm just in a monitoring phase right now. I'm a, about to, to get some checkups in, in the next sort of month or so. And hopefully it's continued good news, but I'm feeling good, um, you know, back to sort of full-time working environment and adjusting again and getting my strength and health back and my hair and beard are back, which is nice. Uh, sorry, yours aren't, but <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll hang on to mine for as long as I can. I've become and, resigned um, to mine going, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, mate, it's coming though. It's not as thick as it was pre-chemo, put it that way. But um, yeah, I'm just grateful to be, you know, able to, to have some normality in life. It was a tough experience. It was a bit of a setback, but also I think, you know, opportunities to take adversity and make yourself better or greater or stronger from them is 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 the name of the game and that's what I've tried to do as I tried to do in my career but it, it it's definitely testing at times but I'm just really grateful to be living life and, and you know have my lovely fiance and family and support systems I'm just a happy guy and it's just a, I'm even buzzing just to be talking to you today and get to talk about special memories back in 2013 which is some of the fondest of my life. Uh, you've been doing some great work to help raise awareness around testicular cancer. Can you tell us where people can go for more information? Because we're going to leave a description in the show notes as as well. Any recommendations for people? Uh, absolutely. There's multiple places. I think Manscaped do a great op- uh, op- a great job of you know, putting out information of how to check yourself, what to do. Movember, a big advocate. I work personally with the Urology Foundation. We have um, a Tough Nuts Tuesday, which is the first Tuesday of every month where we recommend men check themselves. And I think this is the biggest thing that I can do from this is, is trying to help others because when it comes to testicular cancer, the earlier you catch it, the easier the road. If you catch it very early, you might just have surgery, no chemo, nothing. The longer it goes, the more chemo, the more invasive the surgery, the harder the road to recovery, and the less, uh, you know, the more your, you know, survival risk will diminish. Although it is very high, and so for me. 
it's all about checking yourselves. And some people say, what am I checking for? Is it a lump? Is it a any change? I didn't have a lump. Mine just got a bit hard, harder and then it started to gradually get bigger. So it was quite hard to tell for a little while what was going on. But so if you feel any change in texture, hardness, size, a lump, anything, go see your GP straight away. You don't have, go to, get, you don't have to feel anything abnormal. Just just that is enough. Just a change. Yep. Just a slight change because it's worth getting someone to feel it. And worst case, they ultrasound it and they can tell straight away and you know and 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 then and then it's done. But the the the, the opportunity cost of not doing that is so great because men traditionally don't go to the doctor enough. COVID has made people not go to the doctor enough. There is another sort of crisis about, you know, late cancer diagnosis because of the impact of the pandemic. So my big advice to everyone is go get checked, be on top of it, check yourself regularly. It can happen to anyone. It's the most prevalent cancer in young men. And it, it is definitely something to take seriously because if you don't, you'll regret it later. Well, a um, uh, bit of a serious note, but uh, one uh, worth finishing on. So all we have time for. Like, a huge, huge thanks to Alex Corbusier for speaking openly about his health and also for giving us the insight, Alex. It was fantastic. Thank you. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Brian. I've, I remember you from a, a young kid meeting you on the slopes in, in France and yes, fanboying, you, yes. fanboying you out there. So to be talking now and, and reminiscing about stuff, it's an absolute joy. So thanks, mate. Thank you, mate. Look, if you want to make a donation to Alex's Foundation, there will be a link in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, head over to Full Contact, uh, wherever you'll get your podcasts and hit the subscribe. It, it's really basically registering. It, it's free. You don't have to pay. You can catch up with our other episodes, including the previous ones of Brian's Lines with Sir Ian McGeekin and John Schmidt. But for now, it's goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.